Grace after New Hampshire. Welcome to Playing Politics, a podcast from the Star Tribune's editorial board. I'm columnist and editorial writer John Rash. Joining me are three colleagues, editorial writer Patricia Lopez, columnist and editorial writer Lori Sturdivant, and columnist and commentary editor DJ Tice. In DJ, we'll get to the respective races in just a moment, but first let's talk about this moment in our nation's history when two outsiders, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, propelled in part by anger over essentially the same issues, have had a remarkable rise. And how significant is this shift in U.S. politics? Well, it's uh, certainly very significant in terms of the 2016 race, whether it represents a, you know, a lasting uh, realignment of some kind. I think that time, w- it'll take some time uh, to shake that out. But, uh, but clearly there is a, a fascinating parallel between the Trump and Sanders voters, when you look at the exit polling, for example, out of New Hampshire, uh, you know, what you see is a dominant pattern. They both did well in all groups. I mean, that's that's what happens when you score a big victory. But they especially do well among the young, among the less educated, the less affluent, and people who feel like they're falling behind. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a crowd with plenty of uh, grievances. Uh, plenty that's troubling them, and they both, in different ways, uh, are speaking to that audience. And it takes a lot of territory. Takes in a lot of territory these days. It does. Well, the territory is about to We're expand. <laughs> <laughs> the territory, Patricia Lopez, is about to expand, of course, to move down south. But mm-hmm. why don't we take a look at the New Hampshire results from last night and give a sense of what you think happened, why you think it happened and how it might reshape the race as we head into South Carolina, Nevada, and then the Super Tuesday primaries. Well, uh, New Hampshire was notable in part because they had another record turnout. Um, They drew even more uh, voters than they did in 2008. So again, you're drawing people to the polls who don't normally come. And that is the strength of these unconventional candidates. It's really engaging the American people. They're they're engaging them uh, in a way that the establishment candidates have not been able to. And um, I think they are tapping into something that people are starting to realize is pretty deep and significant and uh, and just won't be denied. And these people are not going to go away. What we need to see is if that replicates itself now in states like South Carolina, Nevada, and then moving into um, Super Tuesday. Where Donald Trump indeed does have some very significant leads in the in the polls in those states. He does. He does already have a lead. And, um, you know, one thing that he has proven to be particularly deft at are the large televised rallies that, you know, get everybody going. And, uh, you know, New Hampshire is a, is a small state where you can still door knock uh, and reach people that way. South Carolina is much more dependent on just that sort of thing, the, you know, lower information voter that's going to get a lot, of that, uh, a lot of it through television. And um, that may be a strength for him and see how Cruz does, because you can't leave him out of that mix. He's got a strong appeal among evangelicals and, um, and you know, sort of constitutional conservatives. And another candidate trying to catch Donald Trump, of course, is Marco Rubio. And Laurie Sturdivant, you often caution that campaigns matter. And they sure did in his case as well. And, you know, it seems that on both sides of the political aisle that many people look at Senator Rubio's performance in the debate as a debacle last Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Do you concur? Do you think that was the reason that he fell to fifth? And do you think he can find his footing? 
Well, Marco Rubio is still a new factor in American politics for a lot of people who are participating in this process, even though he's been on the national stage now for a few years. We were just remembering that in 2013 he was tapped to give the the, his party's State of the Union response and kind of flubbed that, too, and he was reaching for water a little bit too vigorously in the middle of his talk. Well, he had a, quite a flub on Saturday night, I think, and that kind of played into a critique that was beginning to have legs anyway, that he was a bit robotic, that he was uh, overly canned in his responses, that there wasn't a lot of depth beyond that. So I think that really was a, a bad misstep for him. These debates tend not to elevate per people particularly. A good debate performance doesn't necessarily produce a surge in the polls, but these debate performances can do you in. And I think that may have happened for Marco Rubio. I think it's a hard thing to recover from. You know, I've heard somebody say that um, we have now dispelled the myth that Marco Rubio <laughs> knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I could repeat that a number of times. Yes. Uh, yeah, the there was the grammatical <laughs> error compounding the, you know, the repetition. Yeah. It just The whole thing taken together just did not, it, it taps into this idea that he wasn't quite ready. Um, and and that what's what becomes hard to shake is if it, you know, if it resonates in a way that seems to be part of your essential nature. And I'm afraid that's what happened with these debates. That's going to make it harder for him to recover than if this had happened to somebody else in the field. And it's interesting. This is the second week that we've had either a caucus or primary to discuss. And DJ Tice, after the Iowa caucuses, we certainly talked about Donald Trump unexpectedly falling to second place and Marco Rubio's surge. And we didn't talk much about the winner, Ted Cruz, and Ted Cruz had a really tough week post-Iowa in which some accused him of um, unfair campaign tactics, particularly in regards to his campaign sending out a tweet that Ben Carson was going to drop out. This dogged him in the debate as well, and yet he glided into third place last night and he heads to friendlier territory than New England as he goes to these southern states. How do you assess his prospects? Yeah, well, you know, he's certainly not the first candidate to uh, prevail in Iowa and then become a little bit deflated in, in New Hampshire. Uh, you know, he did finish third, but it was a distant third. Yep. Uh, and uh, and yet I, he probably feels pretty good about that because one disadvantage he has had and, and others coming out of Iowa is that the strong evangelical uh, social conservative candidate is in unfriendly territory as soon as they get to New Hampshire. Uh, down south is going to be much more favorable uh, campaigning territory for him. So, you know, I think I think he's a force to be reckoned with going forward. And Patricia, let's turn to the Democrats who have a remarkable race in their own right. And last night, of course, Senator Sanders had a lopsided, if not landslide, victory over Secretary Clinton after he, at one point when he announced, was down in the polls by nearly 40 percentage points, came back and won by about 21 percentage points. How do you assess this race as those two candidates head south? Um, you know, Sanders has proven that he has an appeal that goes across the spectrum. Um, he was able to just pile up remarkable numbers with, um, you know, younger voters, with, um, you know, younger women. Uh, and the most astonishing thing to me was with independence. He just took independence. And, you know, for someone who's a self-described socialist uh, running up against uh, a candidate who has been more centrist um, in her views, I, I find that pretty remarkable. Um, Clinton is to get back in the game. I think she's really going to have to recalibrate, you know, both her message and her tone, and uh, and do some more uh, 
um, outreach in a, in a way that's really meaningful to people. Uh, you know, one thing that has been remarked on quite a bit is that when Sanders talks, he often talks about we. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. When Clinton talks, she talks about I. And um, it might it might be good at this point for her to start thinking about we more than about I. Well, she's going to be thinking about a lot and multiple reports that they're going to recalibrate the campaign. And one of the things I'm sure that they have to address, Lori Sturdivant, and Patricia was talking about the demographic dynamics of this race, as the exit polling indicated, there really was no gender gap in New Hampshire. Both male and female voters rejected Secretary Clinton's candidacy, and remarkably, he outpolled her by 11 percentage points among women. Yes. Talk about this dynamic. As you well know, there was um, some very much discussed, particularly on social media, comments from Gloria Steinem and Madeleine Albright on behalf of Secretary Clinton that really seemed to backfire. What's the larger story you think that's happening here? We are seeing uh, the, some of the second wave feminists, that would include Gloria Steinem, scolding younger women for not uh, being so excited about it, putting the first woman in the White House, not having that be a motivating force for them. And I think, uh, rightfully so, younger women voters were not impressed with that argument. Uh, it, uh, it, it, I think, mis uh, misunderstands how young women in particular have felt bruised by the economy since the Great Recession. Uh, I wrote about the, the generation gap in my column for last Sunday, and I think the New Hampshire results are consistent with that. Pat's been watching this more closely than I have, and maybe has uh, some fresher statistics about what happened in New Hampshire with regard to the generation gap. But it's it's striking that a 74-year-old fellow uh, is able to command the loyalty of younger voters to the extent that he did in Iowa and in New Hampshire, and how he's managed to make Hillary Clinton look like an artifact of the 1980s and 1990s, and that she will need to change that. She'll need to have a craft a message that appeals to those voters to have a chance. And, and the trick for her is going to be she's going to have to um, change her message without seeming to, while still say, staying who she is, because authenticity is also another big concern for these voters. They want someone who is genuine. So if she immediately just tries to be Bernie Sanders light, I don't think that's going to work for her. And um, the problems are are really deep. You asked, you know, about the numbers. I think you know some of the last exit polling I saw said that he got 82 percent of the women under 30. That's remarkable. That it just doesn't even seem possible. Um, and, and one of the things it shows, I think, is that uh, women voters refuse to be put in a box. And, um, and they gave a huge reminder to uh, women like Gloria Steinem and Madeleine Albright that part of the reason the fight for women <coughs> women's rights took place was so they could make their own decisions and not be uh, beholden to, oh, here's the first woman candidate, you must vote for her. You know, even if she doesn't line up with your views on issues that really matter to you on the economy and, you know, debt and, you know, trade and other things that are concerns to them. You know, the um, Hillary's problems with women are important and, and fascinating, but I am struck by her awful numbers with men. She lost by 66 to 32 percent. Uh, among men, and uh, think about that. She lost 66 percent of the vote of male Democrats to a uh, self-proclaimed socialist, <laughs> who's not exactly a man's man. You would say he's an elderly <laughs> New Yorker. Uh oh. <laughs> you know, he's not, going not, not driving the shotgun and toting the, uh, or driving the Chevy and toting the shotgun. 
Um, and that would suggest potentially a lot of problems in the major might be in a yeah, general, in a general election. election. Exactly. You don't have men and you don't have women. Yeah. You're in Yes. Well, speaking of the general election, it may become a bit more crowded. New, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg has hinted that he may enter the race, particularly if it are these two insurgent candidates, Senator Sanders and Donald Trump. And DJ Tice, how do you think this might alter the race, and what do you think his prospects might be? Well, it, you know, it's going to be an uphill climb to to win an election as a third-party uh, uh, candidate in, in America, but I think he would have an impact, uh, particularly in the Northeast, uh, you know, where he's very well-known and, and has established a real reputation. He obviously would not have a lot of money problems. Uh, you Much know, richer than Donald Trump, yeah. He's a, uh, he's a great communicator. I You know, I think that he would be a factor. Um exactly how he would affect things, I, I would think he would present more problems to the Democrats yeah, uh, than know, to you, the given his Right, given the positions he's taken uh, lately on gun control, uh, you know, the soda, uh, you know, Soda ban. soda ban in New York. Uh, yeah. Mayor Nanny. <laughs> Mayor Nanny. It's really hard to see him taking uh, very much from uh, a strong Republican. And while he could easily get on the ballot in Minnesota in many states, I think that window may have already closed. And yes, that's true. Speaking of Minnesota, Lori, we're of course talking about New Hampshire, but before we close here, there were two special elections in Minnesota on Tuesday as well. Please tell us what happened and what it might say about Minnesota's political environment in this coming election well, we year. We had two Republican victories in those special elections. In uh, Anoka County, former state representative Jim Abler is now Senator-elect Jim Abler. Uh, he was uh, a Republican state representative for 14 years, 16 years, one of those, something like that, and, and had a very positive reputation as an independent thinker, as a health care expert, as a deal maker. He'll be a welcome addition, I think, welcome in both on both sides of the aisle in the Minnesota Senate. Uh, the uh, Outcome in Bloomington was a bit more surprising and quite close uh, in a very narrow election. I think 130 votes separated the winner and the loser. Republican Chad Anderson, a political newcomer, defeated uh, city council, sitting city council member Andrew Carlson. Uh, uh, I think that uh, the low turnout elections that, that uh, special elections produce tend to advantage Republicans in Minnesota. That's been a pattern we've seen for many decades. Uh, it will be interesting to see whether Andrew Carlson stays in the running and takes tries to take uh, Chad Anderson out in the general election, which is now not that many months away. No, indeed, in November. But uh, speaking of even sooner, in the next week, Patricia Lopez, what will you be watching or watching for? Uh, well, there's another round of debates coming up. Uh, and in particular, on Friday, I'll be watching for... Uh, Sanders and Clinton to come to Minnesota where they will appear in person at the Humphrey Mondale dinner um, and so I think that'll give Minnesotans an up-close um, look at them. DJ Tice? Well, I think I continue to watch how the establishment lane uh, on the Republican side shakes out and whether those uh, candidates kind of vying to be the anti-Trump continue to fire away at one another or, or train their sights on the on the front runner. Yeah. And Lori Sturdivant. Well, I said last week I was going to be watching for how negative the Sanders-Clinton race became. I'm still watching for that, but this time watching to see how Clinton retools her message after the spanking she got in New Hampshire. As for me, I'll certainly be watching these dynamics as well, but I'll also be watching the diplomacy between the United States and China because it's expected that today on Wednesday the United States Senate will pass stricter sanctions in response to provocations from North Korea. And, you know, as you know, foreign policy certainly has been discussed during the campaign, but it's mostly been about the Mideast. But just like President Obama's policy itself, it might soon pivot to Asia. 
Well, that's a wrap for the February 10th edition of Playing Politics, which can be found on the Star Tribune's website and also by subscribing through iTunes. DJ Tice, Lori Sturdivant, and Patricia Lopez, thank you for joining me, and thank you for listening and for reading the Star Tribune.